Greetings, Alpha Seekers. It's a TGIF edition of uh, the Alpha's Next podcast. Yes, Alpha's Next is on the air again. And, you know, these days, every day you wake up on the green side of the golf course, you know, that's a good day. So, so today is a good day. Um, and I don't even know what the market did. I was oddly busy today with uh, meetings and this uh, Zoom Zoom thing. And uh, so I missed a lot of what was happening here. So uh, you probably know more about what happened today than I do, actually. Because I'm not seeing it on my CNBC screen. Uh, I did not follow the market's ups and downs today. So it did what it did, which is what it always does. Mr. Market doesn't care about you. And you shouldn't care about him. And I guess that's one of the one of the themes I want to talk about today, which is emotional uh, delta neutrality. Now, those of you who have uh, studied the options trade, as I have, know about delta neutrality. And for those of you who don't, it's like a rebalancing of your portfolio, basically. If you take an options position, you are, in effect, long or short a certain equivalent st- uh, stock position. So if I take an options position, I may be long 500 shares, and that's because I am have a bullish point of view. Well, as the stock moves up and down relative to my position, I can get out of that balance. So let's say I started out with an equivalent stock position of 500 shares, and now the stock moves on me. So now I'm I'm long 1,000 shares. Well, I probably want to sell. If I want to maintain that original position, I want to sell uh, sell, sell 500 shares and get back to that delta neutrality. And in a way, if you do that right, it gets you to the point where you're buying low and selling high, which is a good thing. That's the basic, right? Easier said than done, as we all know. So uh, in any event... Uh, I think that's the same thing you have to do emotionally. The reason I say that, and this is going to be quite a quite a couple of really, I think, remarkably good segues. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't get much feedback on this show, so I have to give it to myself. But the uh, the emotional uh, part of investing is really the big part. You know, you're you're always balancing fear and greed. And uh, when fear gets to be greater than greed, people sell stocks. And when, it, when greed gets to be uh, greater than fear, they buy them. And that's true with every asset, right? You're always afraid you're going to lose all your money, but if you think you might double it and you feel more bullish or bearish, and that's why they use the terms. Those are the basic terms to categorize the market, bullish or bearish. Uh, so that's all emotion. It's all confidence and animal spirit. Even Keynes, uh, John Maynard Keynes, those of you who follow economics and such, know that um, Keynes talked about the animal spirit. So basically, this is a head game, folks. You know, it's the psychology of the market. But you should try 
to keep your emotional balance, okay? You should say, what is this really worth if I boil all the emotion out of it? And what are the odds that this is going to go up or down? And that's actually what the delta of an option is. It's the odds that it will be in the money at a certain, a date certain. So if I buy a 220 call on Apple, the price of that option will basically be what are the odds that at any given, you know, if it's in a month, what are the odds that a month from today Apple will be at 220? And the person who sells you the option is betting that it won't. Because if if I sell you a call and it doesn't hit that strike, then guess what? I just pocket the premium and I don't have to give you those shares because you had an option to buy them from me at that price and you can't exercise it. It's just like stock options that people criticize big executives for getting. So uh, conversely, if the stock goes up to 250 and you sold me the option for two bucks, well, you got to give me that stock that's now worth $250, uh, and I only have to pay you $220. So net of my $2 that I paid you for the option, I'm getting that stock at a huge discount. Uh, I'm getting $28 a share off. Is that what it is? Yeah. So that's about a 10% discount, which makes me very happy and makes you very unhappy. So um, so that's what drives the price, really. You know, the data is the data. Everybody can do the math, but we're betting on the future value of the stock. So nobody knows. And if anybody does, they can't trade on it because that's insider trading, unless they're employees and they own stock options. So... Uh, the emotional balance is what you need. But that doesn't mean you ignore emotions. You need to know, or at least take a calculated guess at what the mood of the the buyer-sell side is. You know, what mood is going to predominate? If you if you watch the market from day to day, you know, some days everything you can't go wrong. You buy and everything you get buy you can't go wrong buying a stock because by the end of the day it's up. Well, that's all based on emotions, and that's all based on reactions to data points. You know, this week, uh, at the beginning, it was that uh, surge in bullishness based on the virus uh, vaccine news, which then got kind of, uh, that enthusiasm got curbed, and so that cycle played out. Market started to go down, and then, um, you know, this China thing got cooking, and I'm watching right now in the Hong Kong, whatever it is, the legislature, uh, they're dragging people around and, you know, fighting on the floor of the, of the legislature, and Trump is hitting them with uh, lots of threats, so, you know, the U.S.-China thing is now uh, putting a damper on trade because that's such a huge part of world trade right now. So events drive emotions. Emotions drive the, the, the future value of a stock. And uh, you need to figure out, I think in a time of crisis, 
you know, people are on edge, you know, and, and they may react at emotional extremes. In fact, there was an article, uh, I read the headline, didn't read the article, but the, the idea was it's a Bloomberg piece and it says, you know, there are extreme moves in stock because there's a range of emotions normally. If it's in a trading range, people are they're seeing news and they're like, ho-hum. But when they're on edge, you know, you get hyper alert and you probably emotionally overreact to information. So uh, your job is to really look at the numbers and very dispassionately analyze what the future holds and try not to go to extremes yourself, but realize that the momentum behind a stock, for example, I, I know there's a legendary trader down on the floor who says, I've made more money on momentum stocks than anything else. Because you get into one of these Dutch tulip bubble frenzies and people just throw caution to the wind and the stock goes up. And, you know, a momentum trader doesn't care what it's really worth. All they care is what the price is going to be on the next trade. And how long should I stay in it if it keeps running up? And when should I get out of it? It's like a game of musical chairs, um, and you need to know when to get out, and you don't want to be the last person because you won't get a chair. So that's, that's it's a head game, and, and that's why the smartest guys in the world aren't the best traders. You, know? um, you have to have a gut feel for where it's going to go, and you have to a lot of times have faith and uh, you know, be willing to stick to your guns. We saw that with the Moderna trade. You know, when it started behaving badly, we got afraid, and we didn't go for it, and that cost us a 400% increase. So, by the way, Moderna now is at a level where, you know, I still wouldn't play, but, uh, you know, you've seen some predictions where, some forecasts where it might end up a lot higher. So, you know, I like it better today than I did at the beginning of the week. But not that much, because that could still crash and burn. You know, you never know. So, um, and when you don't know, you know, discretion is the better part of valor. And uh, you know, a lot of the best trades you make are the trades you decide not to make. And, uh, you know, you don't have to play. You know, like, the temptation for us with Moderna is like, oh, maybe we could get back in and make money. But sometimes the train left the station, and you don't want to go chasing it, you know, or you'll get run over by an oncoming train. So, Or the thing may back up and run you over, to use that railroad analogy. But anyway, what prompted me to think about this kind of emotional uh, trade management, I was on a call today, and I am going to mention the name of this company, because they are, this was the Chicago Archangels, and a company named Blue Halo. Now, if you watch the same TV stations I do, you see a lot of commercials for catheters, you know, and I'm like, geez, I'm, I know I'm old because I'm watching Star Trek reruns and stuff, but I'm not that old or sick yet. Knock on wood. So fortunately, I have no firsthand experience with catheters. But... Uh, <clears throat> You know, lots of people do. And the the standard now is, is evidently something called a Foley catheter, which is not a pleasant experience. And I won't go into the details. 
And then there's something else called a spanner, I guess. And I don't know what that is, really. It was just mentioned in passing. And then there's this, which is a new kind of... The blue halo has been invented by a couple of urologists who have pretty impressive resumes on the face of it. And it uh, is a... You know, one of the big problems with catheters is you get infections. And infections are not fun and can be fatal and are frowned upon by the payers, like Medicare particularly. So, uh, you know, everybody's got an incentive to avoid those, and this blue halo cuts them down by, I don't know, effort. I don't want to say what percent, but, you know, a very, very, very large percentage. And they've already got it in tests, and they're working with FDA, and everything's hunky-dory. They got a, They have a product. It's a device. It's not like most of the stuff you see these days, which is a website of some sort. So this is actually a real medical device. And medical device, for those of you who don't play in this space, are a lot easier to get approved because all you got to do really is prove they're safe, and then you got to prove that they are analogous to something else that's already on the market that's been proven effective, and you're in. So it's not anywhere near as risky as uh, a pharmaceutical that has to go through phase one, phase two, phase three, and tons of biotechs and stuff crash and burn because they just don't get approved. With these, they mostly do get approved. And this is Chicago Archangels, of which I am a member. And uh, the executive director told me that, you know, she's got a pretty good sense for the kinds of companies that get approved, and this sounds like one of them. So check it out on the web. It's uh, Blue uh, blue Halo. And I'm having it vetted by one of our advisory panel members who is, uh, and you know who you are, uh, and uh, she is in touch with uh, a lot of experienced urologists. Uh, so we're going to vet it with our advisory board, and i got to pitch my partner on it. But... Uh, you know, this is, uh, this is looking good. And if it, the guy says that it could be, uh, what, I think it's a nine-figure uh, valuation because it's a big market. And, you know, he's thinking it could be a $250 million uh, company valuation because these things go for like eight times sales, which is bizarre. And I, so anyway, I, there's a couple of docs on the call. And I'm not, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't get through high school biology, so. But I did do medical marketing for like 40 years, so um, I picked up a few things along the way there. And and I asked, he, you know, he asked some clinical questions that he'd gotten from urologists and everything else. So, uh, and he's a cardiologist. So, so I said, you know, can I ask a couple now? And, um so I laid out some of the marketing challenges, and I, I tried to set the stage with, uh, there was a product, I can't remember the name of it, but I think it was an Abbott product. They ended up getting sued, uh, or getting, you know, really racked up by the, uh, by the feds on the Medicare Kickback Act, because the product basically made it, unnecessary to do surgery for enlarged or for prostate cancer or enlarged prostate and that's how the urologists used to make their money 
So they weren't real eager to adopt this product because they didn't really get paid for prescribing it. And so uh, the company ended up kicking back some money to them uh, to compensate them for the lost income, which from the patient point of view was good because who wants to go under the knife if you don't have to? But it was considered to be a violation of the Medicare anti-kickback statutes, if I remember correctly, and they got in a, a world of trouble. So I mentioned that, and I said, what are the economics of this? Uh, what does a doctor get paid for the Foley, and what does he get paid for this? And the good news is he gets paid twice as much, so that's great. And then there's the patient benefit for the UTI. Uh, but, you know, some docs, if the money outweighs the pain and suffering, you know, some guys are going to make the wrong side of that call. That's just how it is. And uh, the third thing is, you know, there's a big problem for hospitals if they have uh, Medicare readmissions. They get dinged bad. So they'll put a real high priority on that. So I just asked, well, you know, how much of this stuff is being done outpatient, which a lot of it is. And so if the if the patient has to go to the hospital, that's not a readmission. So the doctor doesn't have that same uh, issue with getting dinged for readmissions because it's not a readmission. The patient is going in the hospital for the first time if the patient has to go in for the infection. Well, evidently, I portrayed that in language that was too colorful. And the doc said, you know, I'm not going to listen anymore. It's Dr. Bash. You're not going to go. And there's another doctor. He left, too. So I inadvertently irritated these guys. So there are more polite ways to phrase those questions. And uh, sometimes, you know, when you're an investor or you're a medical marketer, you're not used to having doctors in the room. And particularly on this, when it's a conference call, you don't really see them. So... You know, I honestly didn't really expect that reaction. I figured these doctors are investors, so they're going to be able to talk turkey, as we say on the South Side, but this guy got offended. And, you know, so the point probably here is that, you know, uh, a lot of us like to talk in colorful language, and, you know, this is an authentic podcast, if not a well-produced one. But I think my lesson learned from that is to, you know, try not to throw too much emotion into your uh, dialogue or into your conversation. You know, if you don't want to provoke anybody, you know, sometimes if you put things out there too colorfully or too bluntly or with, you know, what you think is <laughs> your, your own version of a sense of humor, you can inadvertently offend people. And I don't like to inadvertently offend people. I mean, I deliberately offend people sometimes, but, you know, I don't like that unintended consequence. And that is true, obviously, in our personal lives. But our business lives, we have to, to a certain extent, speak with, uh, with some diplomacy so that we boil the emotion out of the communication. So... So that was my takeaway from that. But it's also, it then occurred to me, you know, it's the same way you have to approach investments. Uh, you know, don't feel just, I mean, I cannot tell you how, for the first time in many years, actually, I was kind of doing cartwheels around the house on Monday because I'm like, oh, the Sorrento thing, man, I'm going to make a fortune. It's another, it's another uh, Moderna. 
and it also is going to save my life, which is in unfortunately some some large degree of peril these days with this coronavirus. And uh, so I was really, you know, I haven't felt that good in a long time. And then when I realized later, you know, it was like the old uh, wide world of sports, the thrill of victory, you went right to the agony of defeat. And so you want to try to limit the range of your emotion, you know. It's like be chill, like the kids say, you know, just... Don't expect people to react in a certain emotional way when you make a statement. Don't uh, overreact to the news. And don't underreact. Don't be too cynical, but don't be too enthusiastic. Just keep your emotions within a narrow range. And you'll probably do better and uh, do less damage emotionally to people. And, reputationally than if you uh, tend to, you know, it's fun to feel emotion, right? So we tend to like to feel strong emotions, and I'm no exception to that, I suppose. But uh, you want to try to moderate your, you know, I have a friend who used to always say, have a moderate time, you know. And uh, moderation in all things is another I think Plato or Socrates or somebody said that, somebody Greek. So, uh, stoicism perhaps. Anyway, that's, I think, a good lesson for investors because you don't want to fall in love. You know, when I've watched Kramer, when he says something negative, like Sorrento, he made a crack about, watch out. And this is a guy who is an enthusiast, you know? I mean, he's like a crazy person. So if when he gets, when I've made mistakes listening to Jim Cramer and Mad Money, it's mostly when he's overly enthusiastic about something and I get caught up in that. And rarely it has been when he's negative on things. You know, because it, it's not his go-to emotional reaction to be negative or skeptical or cautious. He's one of these all-in enthusiasts. So you're often more... You're going to learn more from him when he's not enthusiastic about something than when he is. So that's my advice on how to play Kramer. I don't know if anybody's analyzed that, but I bet the ones he is negative on were better reads than the ones he was gushing about, you know. So uh, that's a good example. I mean, when he gets negative, he doesn't get, like, horrible negative. He gets, eh, nah, stay away. But when he's positive, he's like, oh, my God, this guy's this guy walks on water. He can turn water into wine, you know. I mean, he just falls in love with these companies and these CEOs. So, um, which, you know, when you're selling bonds or stocks, that's a good, good way to move them, you know. You move them with emotion. You motivate people to action with emotion. But uh, when, you, when you go along for the ride on that with your own money, that's not so much fun. So... So I think that's it for today. Uh, I don't have any real revelations or hot tips or alpha suggestions. The only thing is, uh, if you hung in here till the end and you heard about that blue halo and you like what you heard, uh, talk to me. Because, you know, what we'd probably like to do, because we're kind of, you know, we're, we've got a lot, we're kind of fully invested right now in Ventures Next. So I think we'd love to get some people come in on this with us 
and uh, put together a little syndicate and lay off some risk. So the minimum these guys want to talk about is $25,000. So we could certainly, you know, come up with some of that. Uh, I mean, if we had to, we could come up with all of it. But uh, And you do get shares here, okay? You don't get these notes or, you know, safe notes, or which are anything but. I mean, I don't do any more deals now unless I get common shares with one class. I don't go near any of these other things because you can get wiped out with a stroke of a pen. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust my own mother with them with that, even though she's no longer with us and was extremely trustworthy. So, uh, you know, if I don't get shares, if I'm not a shareholder, if I don't have shareholder rights, and preferably not in Delaware, but, you know, I'll I'll take Delaware if I have to, but uh, I've been a minority shareholder and I know how much leverage that gives you. So, no more of these convertible notes or anything for this cowboy. Uh, and this is, you get shares. So uh, so if any of you are interested in talking about that, give me a call. It's 708-334-8414. And of course, we're still raising money for the biotech, uh, the biotech roulette fund, I'm calling it now. You know, where we put a bet on all these little biotechs once we screen them up. And you hope one of them pops. So I got one uh, listener interested in that. And so we're going, based on that interest, we're going forward with legal structure, uh, which will be a legal light, so we don't have to pay a fortune to lawyers. And uh, so if either of those opportunities interest you, uh, give me a call, 708-334-8414. So that's it. I will guarantee you today I have an even better prediction that the market won't go up or down for the next three days because it's closed for Memorial Day. And it's a weird holiday because, you know, how do you get the day off when every day is off? Well, I've been in that situation for years, but, you know, some of you retired folks, every day is a a holiday now, but... um, you know, for those of you who are still working for a living, what difference does it make, right? So, uh, at least you're not getting a lot of Zoom meetings and phone calls and all that, emails. So, have a good Memorial Day. Um, remember, it's about our veterans who lost their lives in wars, including, not my dad, my dad is a, my dad was a veteran, but and he is dead, but not because of the war. Uh, I think Veterans Day is a memory of, of the veterans of, of various wars, and Memorial Day is a memory of the dead, if I'm not mistaken. I'll Google that. And remember, too, we got the website, alphasnext.com. We've got the uh, podcast, of course. Uh, and we also have our company LinkedIn page, Alpha's Next. So just search on LinkedIn for Alpha's Next. And that's where I am posting articles that I refer to on this podcast and charts and things like that. So uh, if you follow along on that, if you're a LinkedIn person, then you will see what I'm talking about. And eventually we'll be 
linking to that stuff on the website and so all that. But for now, I'm just doing it on LinkedIn. So uh, that's it. Uh, live long, prosper, stay safe, keep your mask on. And uh, we're all Lone Rangers now, you know. Who is that masked man or woman? So uh, until next week, I'll probably take Memorial Day off of this thing too and I'll be back on the air on uh, on Tuesday or not on the air I guess over the web back online on Tuesday so have a safe and uh, under the circumstances uh, good holiday weekend bye bye